My name is Aram, and I am the creator, producer, and editor of the original Dungeons & Dragons podcast, God's Fall. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome! This episode sets up the story of how the Five Kingdoms came to be and how that world was nearly obliterated in the Great God's War. And if you're a previous fan who's listened to this episode before, I bet you're going to really love the completely re-recorded audio, showing off how good we sound going into Season 3. The next four episodes are one-on-one character introductions with each player as we gather our crew together. And Episode 6 is our first game all around the same table. We have custom maps, art, character sheets, and many other resources on our website at godsfall.com, where you will also find links to our Patreon account and official t-shirts. So with that out of the way, let's get on with the show. The History of God's Fall Let's start from the beginning. At first, there was nothing. A moment later, there was everything. In the great cataclysm of creation, the first four were born. Yatar, goddess of fire, Ather, god of air, Emetaph, goddess of water, and Ogun, the god of earth. For a thousand years, they would dance across the universe, creating all the cosmic beauty and desolation within. As they danced with one another, they birthed more deities. Yatar and Ather had Sephor, god of the sun, while Ogun and Emetaph brought forth the trickster Ayus, god of the moon. It was under the spell of the moon that Emetaph and Ather did meet, creating Yala, goddess of life and Mordecai, the god of death. This infidelity shattered their divine house and sent the first four into the corners of the universe as far from each other as they could manage. It was here they would remain, agreeing only that there were to be no more gods. Mordecai, the god of death, was more than happy to oblige this decree, but his sister life would not be so restrained. She danced with Sephor and summoned the sisters Ova, goddess of beasts, Radia, goddess of will, and Wudea, the goddess of plants. She danced with the moon and conjured the brothers Acherus, god of dreams, Etos, god of peace, and Peleos, the god of emotion. Because she was life, she loved the lives of her children, and because she was their mother, she taught them how to love and dance. Wudea and Acherus grew trees so tall that their skin turned hard as iron and divinity was trapped within their branches. The trees filtered this power into their roots, creating Zunos, goddess of the wild, who in turn brought forth the elves to tend her new garden.
Rodea was seduced by Etos and Peleos, calling forth Lordros, god of fate, and Vora, goddess of force. Ova and Ocarus brought forth Vistrix, goddess of chaos, Shakti, goddess of illusion, and Eponia, the goddess of knowledge. The trickster moon lay with many of his grandchildren. Vora bore him Repel, god of magnetism, while his union with Eponia summoned Kalos, god of invention. The gods of magnetism and invention would later combine their power and forge dwarves from stone and magic. Vistrix was Ayus's favorite, and their millennia-long tryst gave birth to Sito, god of the sea, Atuna, goddess of magic, and Jodar, the god of luck. Ova was wild, as beasts often are, and the sons of Ayus were seduced by her life-made flesh. Ova and Etos allowed for Tyr, god of travel, Saw, god of the astral plane, and Mivia, the goddess of time. Ova and Pelio shook the heavens with their love and called forth seven children. Gaidir, god of sport, Mitos, god of strength, Senos, god of speed, Udea, goddess of vitality, Oris, goddess of sound, Vodan, god of war, and Helio, the god of flight. Radia and Etos recoiled in horror at the disorder wrought by their siblings' children and lay together to bring about Baros, the god of order. The family squabbled, as families are wont to do, but the gods maintained a delicate balance by agreeing to return to the first law. No, no more, more gods. gods. And for 10,000 years, there were none. Dwarves were the first of men to be given magic, as they were jealous of the elves in their millennia of life. They became fierce guardians of this new power, which they used to create great feats of architecture and technology. And once their towering dwarven halls could be made no more magnificent, they set about shaping the world. Centuries of dominance made many of the dwarves as selfish and petty as the gods. The elves eventually grew tired of their constant warring and stole the secrets of magic from them, teaching the knowledge to the other races in order to restore balance. In rage, the dwarves declared themselves the enemy of all races of man, and the Hundred Years' War began. As death and turmoil spread across the land without intervention, mankind grew distant from the gods. 
The great human city of Ani rapidly expanded as more and more people fled to the walls of the capital to seek reprieve from the unending violence. The city prospered, a shining light in the darkness that threatened to consume all. Man began to idolize his own creations over the divinity of the gods. When the millionth person was born inside Ani's sprawling slums, mankind also birthed its first god a brave and noble human warrior known as Zavon. Now an omnipotent being blessed with the practicality and impatience of a mortal, Zavon immediately set about improving Ani, raising towering walls that carried magically purified water along the tops of its ivory embattlements. He dug a great canal that brought this water into the heart of his city, blessing its inhabitants with good health and bountiful crops. With the capital in order, Zavon set about ending the Hundred Years' War and unifying the five kingdoms under his rule. In just over a decade, he brought the races and cities under a single banner, forging the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen. The speed at which the God of Man worked, combined with the ease at which he wielded his new divinities within his own realm, terrified the old gods and goaded them into swift action swift for immortal beings, at any rate. At the height of the Hundred Years' War, many gods grew wary of man's increasing power. A pact was formed from an unlikely cabal of Sephor, Zunos, Vodan, Vistrix, Vora, and Baros. On the first day of the 16th year of Zavan, they attacked all at once, intent on killing the god of man with a single strike. What they had not planned on was death finally taking a lover. They had certainly not planned on how fiercely he would fight to protect him. The titanic conflict that ensued quickly spilled across the entire pantheon as each deity was forced to choose a side. The Great God's War had begun. It would barely last an hour. As the gods battled for control over the mortal realm, they tore the planet asunder. Millions of creatures perished within minutes as divine energies not seen since the creation of the universe were harnessed as sword and shield. In the final moments of the hour-long conflict, Zavon gave his life defending the five nations. Sephor struck at him again and again, sundering the land with earthquakes and volcanoes. In order to save the city of Ani, Zavon sacrificed a third of Kadar and much of the countryside surrounding the capital city as it sank beneath the waters of a new inland sea. In his dying moments, Zavon willed his divinity into the fabric of his armor, weapons, clothing, and crown and then willed these artifacts to a simple farmer from Kadar named Jacob Kladivo. As the storm that engulfed the entire world bore down on the five kingdoms, Zavan gathered the raging magical forces that had been unleashed and used them to form a permanent barrier, protecting the ravaged nations from the destruction of the planet. 
The staggered survivors set about extinguishing fires, clearing sodden fields and rebuilding what they could of their former lives. The Five Kingdoms sent explorers to every edge of the world storm on land and sea. Those that returned reported a swirling, impassable wall of wind and lightning over a mile high, and so dense with dirt and debris that vision stopped soon after the storm's edge. Others reported huge winged beasts darting in and out of the tops of the clouds. After a decade of search and scholarly debate, the leaders of the New World came to a grim conclusion. The God's War had destroyed the entire planet, save for a broken, scorched, drowned continent shielded from oblivion by the dying oath of the last God. With a sea now separating the five kingdoms and a demigod unwilling to use his new powers to force compliance, the Union of Nations quickly broke apart. The capital city of Ani remains fiercely loyal to their god-king, safe within their unsaleable walls. The south was split in two, with the rocky, forested east returning to ancient royal bloodlines in order to keep peace and the Fertile West breaking into a dozen fiefdoms loosely united under an elected council. The small nation of Rizan, newly rich with the mile-wide ore of gold that erupted to the surface during the God's War, gave birth to an unusual form of government. Nearly every public sector position, from czars to local leaders, is won by who can pay the most to run the department for that cycle, or half a decade. Elections are a simple matter, Candidates wager an amount they believe is enough to win, and then run a campaign to encourage the public to vote for them by donating to their election pot. All donations and totals are kept secret until the election is over and the vaults, magically warded against theft and sealed to prevent tampering, are inventoried. This system also allows for a tax-free society as all the votes are gathered to form the budget for that department over the next five years. The largest and most northern of the five kingdoms fell into decades of anarchy as famine and disease ran rampant. Out of this chaos, a priesthood arose whose acolytes preached moral solidarity. Foolish and petty gods had destroyed this world. Therefore, mankind should reject all things godly. This order sent inquisitors to every corner of their broken nation, bringing relief in the form of food, supplies, and labor. Their priests carried gems mined from deep within the dwarven capital of Gaul Hadir that glowed in reaction to the presence of magic. They used these stones to collect and destroy items infused with magic, and repurposed enchanted weapons to forge anti-magic bane swords. The independent nation of Utea was blasted down to the bedrock by Sephor, with only small pockets of life surviving. Infusing the last of his divinity into his possessions and arms, Zavon passed on a great deal of power to Jacob Cladivo, a humble but bright young farmer from the Northern Kingdom. 
His inherited swords, armor, cloak, boots, helmet, gauntlets, belt, and tabard were artifact-level items, instantly transforming him into the world's last demigod. After a period of adjustment to near-godhood, Jacob set about putting the great city of Ani in order. He established a ruling council staffed half by public vote and half by royal bloodline. The throne secure, he turned his attention to the shattered remains of his once proud kingdom. Though hunger would claim many over the next decade, Jacob was able to organize a fleet of relief vessels in an attempt to stem the starvation. And while most of the fertile lands had been lost to the scorching rays of the sun, ash from the burning eye caused lands in the north to flourish. An island chain formed by lava in the God's War became havens for the root vegetable staples of the north. Admiral Yosef Kadar claimed these islands for the people and turned what was left of his navy into a national farming relief effort. In an effort to foster peace, Jacob gifted a hundred ships to Admiral Kadar, allowing him to suppress the various warlords that had carved up the north and spread humanitarian aid to all in need. In the 23rd year after the breaking of the world, the Empire of Kadar was officially charted. Twelve years later, the Empire would declare war on the God King. Backed by the technology of the Northern Dwarves, a powerful navy, and gold from Rizan, Kadar invaded the south. Their superior numbers and equipment allowed Kadarian troops to overwhelm the Republic of Wessel, followed quickly by much of Eastern Brennus. The Dwarves of the East stood in fierce opposition to their world-conquering brethren, and formed an alliance with the Elves of the Ironwood and the humans of the Highgrass Plains, and held the invading army at the Voiceless Peaks. Desperate to break the stalemate, Kadar agreed to begin transferring the magical items, armor, and equipment they gathered during the Southern Campaign to Gaul Hadir. Weapons were still reserved for the crafting of new bane swords, but all other items were turned over to the dwarves. They broke them down in massive lava forges and used the raw magical elements to create massive stone and metal giants that feed Kadar's war machine. Though pressed hard, the Eastern Front held due in no small part to the clans of Ents and Trolls that lumbered out of their forests and marshes to meet these inhuman giants eye to eye. The battle was turned, and within a year, royal forces loyal to Ani would take the highlands of Kadar and establish their will over the banks of Rizan. Without their goal to fund the war, Kadar had no choice but to agree to a peace accord in the 48th year since the breaking of the world. Sufficiently cowed by King Kladibo's combined forces, as well as his ever-increasing godlike might, the Kadarian Empire agreed to peace largely on the capital's terms. They would rejoin the greater empire not as subjects of the king, but as a voice in a representational senate. Each of the five kingdoms would have votes in the senate equal to one for every 10,000 of their citizens. A census is taken every 10 years, led by royal forces from Ani with delegates from each of the kingdoms. King Claudivo would rule as emperor of this government, 
with the ability to veto any proposed legislation. The Senate can override this royal veto with a two-thirds majority vote. With democracy established, as well as an excuse to keep troops in every quarter of the empire on a continual basis, Jacob reigned over 50 years of peace, interrupted only by occasional terrorist actions from pockets of Qadarian loyalists. While Ani remains both popular and powerful, Qadar retains much of its influence over Rizan, as well as an unrivaled navy and army. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of the epic audio drama known as God's Fall, Divine and Conquer. We have over 50 highly edited episodes for you to enjoy and are recording and editing more all the time. The majority of sound effects you heard from this episode are courtesy of our good friends at BattleBards. Check them out at BattleBards.com. For more information about God's Fall, including the God's Fall World Book, and up-to-date news about the cast and story, follow us on Twitter at God's Fall DC. And check out our trove of maps, notes, and other information on godsfall.com. That's all for now. See you next time for more adventures in the Five Kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs>